Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 497 for the 12th of June, 2016. This week, don't fall victim to a doxer. Besides explaining what doxers are, I'll have some suggestions for avoiding the creeps. There's a very good chance that just about any website you visit has some security vulnerabilities. In short circuits, Adobe released new Lightroom and Camera Raw versions this week. An article in the New York Times outlines the distressing reality of governments planning for cyber warfare. Some of Mark Zuckerberg's accounts were hacked this week. Are you smarter than he is? In spare parts, only on the website, a utility that claims to be able to fix broken Microsoft Office files comes with a hefty price tag. Verizon sounds like it wants to buy Yahoo's internet assets. And Fujitsu offers some scanners that can store your files in the cloud without involving a computer. Perhaps you're old enough to remember Hill Street Blues, in which Michael Conrad's character, the Hill Street Station's watch sergeant, Phil Esterhouse, always ended roll call with, Be careful out there. The program ran from 1981 through 1987, and when you're anywhere on the Internet, it's a good idea to keep that warning in mind. Remaining safe on the Internet involves avoiding the doxer. Doxing refers to the Internet-based practice of researching and broadcasting personally identifiable information about an individual based on documents, or docs, that can be found on the Internet. Publicly available databases and social media websites are used, but so are social engineering and breaking into private systems. Sometimes law enforcement agencies use the practice, but it is more commonly used by Internet vigilantes. If you're concerned with your privacy, there are some steps you can take to mitigate the threat, but it's impossible to completely eliminate it. The first level of defense continues to be the use of strong passwords and making sure that you don't use the same username and password combination on multiple sites. Mark Zuckerberg found out the hard way. We'll hear more about that later in this week's program. And you particularly don't want to use the same username and password combination on any sites that contain personal information about you or your financial data. Consider what you're posting on social media before you post. Unless you restrict access, anyone can see your information. And keep in mind that people who are friends of your friends may not turn out to be your friends. Everything you post is another clue for a doxer or a burglar. Looking forward to being in Spain for a week. That's not a wise message to post unless you want to invite burglars to come and play at your house while you're not there. I started using multiple email addresses several years ago. There's an address I use for things like email subscriptions and other semi-public activities, one that I use exclusively for bank transactions, and one that's restricted primarily to people I know. 
If I get a message purporting to be from my bank and it's sent to the wrong address, I know immediately that it's a fraud. Another good idea, follow the money. If you see an online offer that seems just too good to be true, think about it. 40% off on everything at Kohl's. Really? Airlines don't randomly hand out $1,000 vouchers for travel, nor do stores, big box stores or any others, typically offer 40% off on everything. So don't take the bait. Even for legitimate operations, such as Google, you have to realize that if they're giving you something for nothing, Gmail, for example, they have to do something to make money. That means you're the product and you're being sold to businesses. Now that's okay if you're willing to make that trade. Just be aware of what you're signing up for. There's only one good reason why you would ever list your phone number on the Internet if you need to do that in order to receive calls from prospective clients. And if that's the case, then maybe it's time to pay a few dollars per month to get a Skype number or a number from some other source so that you don't have to put your personal number on the website. If you own a domain name, your registrar might offer a privacy option. This carries a small annual cost, usually 10 to $20, but it's a good way to keep the doxers at bay. They can't learn your address and other information that you've given to the registrar if you use the privacy option. And maybe you even want to consider an alias, a fake name with a separate email address for online activities. I know people who have done exactly this. I consider the action to be just a little more paranoid than I'm comfortable with. Still, if you have ever been harassed or stalked, it's worth a thought. A new report from White Hat Security suggests that most web applications have multiple serious vulnerabilities, and these make them vulnerable to data loss. The information is included in the 11th Annual Web Applications Security Statistics Report. The report was compiled using data collected from tens of thousands of websites. Findings are based on the aggregated vulnerability scanning and remediation data from the web applications that use the White Hat Sentinel service for application and security testing. It covers 12 business sectors, from retail and healthcare to banking and financial services. The best performers, as you probably expect, are banking and financial services, but still more than 40% of those sites had vulnerabilities. IT and retail industries were among the worst, each with more than 50% of the sites tested having vulnerabilities. And even worse, vulnerabilities found on these sites typically persisted for more than 200 days. The number of days it takes for a flaw to be identified and eliminated is another key metric that organizations need to pay attention to, and for obvious reasons, the longer a security flaw exists, the more vulnerable the system is. The report says that across all industries, a substantial number of web applications remain always vulnerable. Examples include information technology, or IT. 60% of web applications are always vulnerable. In the retail arena, half of all web applications are always vulnerable. Banking and financial services, 40 to 41% always vulnerable, respectively. 
In healthcare, 47% of web applications always vulnerable. White Hat's Tamir Hardoff says that some organizations have hundreds of consumer-facing web applications, and each of these can have several vulnerabilities. This could mean that thousands of vulnerabilities exist across a single organization's web applications. The key is determining which of the issues are the most critical and therefore need to be addressed first. Generally, though, the more critical vulnerabilities are more complex to understand and fix. For nine of the 12 industries analyzed, remediation rates are below 50%. For IT organizations, it's less than 25%. The average age of a vulnerability in the information technology industry is 875 days. Yes, that's almost three years. The average time to fix for vulnerabilities varies by industry from approximately 15 weeks in the energy industry to 35 weeks in IT. Key trends from 2013 through 2015 show that the security situation is not really improving much, but there are some bright spots. Remediation rates declined significantly in IT, which saw a drop from 46% to 24%, and in banking, which dropped from 52% to 42%. Financial services and retail saw some modest increases in their remediation rates, 41 to 48 percent for financial services and up from 42 percent to 48 percent for retail. The greatest improvement was in the food and beverage industry where remediation rates quadrupled from 17 percent, wow, a lot of room for improvement there, up to 62 percent. In manufacturing, rates almost doubled from 34 percent to 66 percent, while healthcare improved from 26 percent to 42 percent and insurance from 26 percent to 44 percent. In Short Circuits, this week Adobe released new versions of Lightroom CC, Lightroom, and Camera Raw. According to Adobe, this release provides additional Camera Raw support and lens profile support, as well as addressing bugs that were introduced in previous releases of Lightroom. The primary new feature this time around is called Guided Upright, and it's available for Creative Cloud members. Lightroom and Camera Raw, which is used in conjunction with Adobe Bridge, are always released in tandem because they're based on the same technology. Support has been added for 64 more lenses. If you'd like to see the full list, there's a link to that list from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Several additional camera models are now supported. The Canon PowerShot G7 Mark II, Leica MD Type 262, Nikon's Coolpix B700, and three models of the Panasonic DMC. Tethered support has been added for the Canon EOS 1DX Mark II, Canon EOS 80D, Canon EOS 1300D, and the Canon Rebel T6. A previous release included an upright tool designed to allow users to straighten images, fix horizons, and reduce or eliminate the keystone effect caused by tilting a camera up or down. Upright works well when the image includes prominent vertical and horizontal lines. It wasn't very effective, though, for images that didn't have features the process could identify. Guided Upright allows users to provide their own hints to guide Upright. 
Draw vertical and horizontal lines directly on the image, and Upright will perform the transition. A couple of images on the TechBiter Worldwide website show how this works. I had a picture of a rhinoceros at the wilds. There were no straight vertical or horizontal lines anywhere in the picture, but the road that the rhinoceros was walking on seemed to go uphill near the back of the picture. So I decided to see what a guided upright modification might be able to accomplish. These kinds of changes used to be in the lens corrections panel, but now there's a new transform panel. I drew two lines on the image. And by the way, these lines aren't permanent. They're just there while you're making the changes. I drew the two lines on the image to tell Lightroom what should be level. The line at the top of the image in the back was slanted because that's what I wanted to fix. The one at the bottom of the image, where the image already seemed to be straight, was a simple straight line. The lines help Lightroom to understand which part of the image to show within the rectangular canvas. After thinking about it for less than a second, Lightroom made some slight changes to the image's geometry and provided a corrected copy. In this case, I drew just two lines. Guided Upright needs at least two guides, but it can also use three or four lines. I look forward to working with this new feature. I think it's pretty promising. Additional updates include the ability to merge images to panorama and high dynamic range with smart previews. Previously, Lightroom required the use of the original images for these features. The Lightroom mobile section of the Preferences dialog includes a pending sync activity item that can help users identify potential problems related to image syncing across the desktop, mobile, and web versions of Lightroom. Camera Raw 9.6 is available only in Photoshop CC and later. Customers using older versions of Photoshop can use the DNG converter for continued camera support. And Mac users need at least version 10.9 of OS X. Times technology writer Nicole Perlroth wrote this week about the technological equivalent of germ warfare. It's the disturbing story of how governments are stockpiling software bugs so that they could be used in internet warfare. Perlroth describes the early visionaries who created the network of networks, the internet, and says that even the early Internet pioneers at the Pentagon could not have foreseen that half a century later, the billions of mistakes made along the way to creating the Internet of today and all things attached to it would be strung together to form the stage for modern warfare. Today, everything is connected, and that's really convenient. But it's also convenient for those who are planning to use our massively interconnected system as a weapon. Your computer, your tablet, your smartphone, maybe even your watch are connected to the network. And so are millions of systems that could be considered to be targets. You and your gear could be collateral damage in the eyes of the warriors. Oh, nothing personal. Sorry about that. What they're doing, the article says, is cataloging software vulnerabilities. And there are lots of them. The article quotes Steve McConnell, the author of Code Complete. 
On average, there are 15 to 20 defects per 1,000 lines of code in delivered software, he says. Each individual application on your computer, for example, Microsoft Word or Firefox or Adobe Reader, probably contains millions of lines of code. The problem is obvious. Pearl Roth's article says that most governments are stockpiling vulnerabilities and exploits in hardware, software, applications, algorithms, and even security defenses like firewalls and antivirus software. These governments will pay anyone who can find the defects. That is clear from the FBI's public willingness to pay more than $1 million for a hack that gave them access to data on a single Apple smartphone. So if you're looking for something to keep you awake at night, Read the rest of Pearl Roth's article. It's on the New York Times website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. probably already heard that Mark Zuckerberg's Pinterest, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram accounts have been hacked. Now Zuckerberg is a pretty smart guy. He created Facebook, after all, and yet apparently he used the same credentials for multiple sites. That's just dumb, whether you're Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Blinn. Doesn't matter. Don't do it. Yes, keeping track of a few dozen passwords can be a pain, if you allow it to be but you don't have to. I have to manage more than 200 passwords, and I find it not at all difficult. That's because I use LastPass, Password Manager. Other password managers exist. Just pick one, sign up for it, and use it. A group called Our Mind says that it has broken into LinkedIn, Twitter, Pinterest, and other sites. Engadget even has some screenshots of messages sent to Zuckerberg to tell him they'd accessed his account. In part, the message says, we're just testing your security. LinkedIn, of course, has already removed the fake Zuckerberg account. Now, a story like this, strange as it might seem, makes it easy for malicious creeps to convince people to hand over their credentials. And here's how it works. You've just read a story on TechBiter Worldwide, or you've heard it on the TechBiter podcast, or you've heard it elsewhere or read it somewhere, about the continuous and ongoing dangers of having your credentials stolen. And then you receive a message that claims to be from YouTube, or LinkedIn, or Facebook, or Twitter, or any of dozens of other sites. The message says you must change your password immediately. Click here, the message says. You click. You enter your name, your old password, and the new password. Now you think you're done. Well, wrong. Maybe you're done, but not the way you think. That link might have taken you to a fake site that accepts your credentials and then pretends to make the change. Instead, you have just given a creep your username and password. When you receive a message like this, and you probably will, don't click the link. Instead, go to the site the way you normally do. Log in, and then use the site's normal procedure to modify your account. And when you change that password, make sure that the one you change it to isn't being used for some other account. And this week in Spare Parts, only on the website, 
A utility that claims to be able to fix broken Microsoft Office files comes with a hefty price tag. Verizon sounds like it wants to buy Yahoo's internet assets. And Fujitsu offers some scanners that can store your files in the cloud without involving a computer. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.